Welcome. It's great to be with you. Ask that uh, you would take your Bible, hopefully you have one nearby, and uh, join me as we take a look at 2 Chronicles chapter 33. So we're in 2 Chronicles chapter 33, and we'll be reading the first 20 verses of this particular chapter. 2 Chronicles chapter 23, or 33. 2 Chronicles 33. And we read this. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. He did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord dispossessed before the sons of Israel. For Manasseh rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah his father had broken down, he also erected altars for the Baals and made Asherim and worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. Manasseh built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, My name shall be in Jerusalem forever. For he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Manasseh made his sons pass through the fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, and he practiced witchcraft, used divination, practiced sorcery, and dealt with mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking the Lord God to anger. Then Manasseh put the carved image of the idol which he had made in the house of God, of which God had said to David and to Solomon his son, In this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen from all of the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. I will not again remove the foot of Israel from the land which I have appointed for your fathers. If only they will observe to do all that I have commanded them according to all the law, the statutes, and the ordinances given through Moses. Thus Manasseh misled Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the sons of Israel. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people but they paid no attention. Therefore, the Lord brought the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria against them, and they captured Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze chains, and took him to Babylon. When Manasseh was in distress, he entreated the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. When he prayed to him, God was moved by his entreaty and heard his supplication and brought Manasseh again to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. And then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Now after this, Manasseh built the outer wall of the city of David on the west side of Gion in the valley, even to the entrance of the fish gate. And he encircled 
the Ophel with it and made it very high. Then Manasseh put com army commanders in all the fortified cities of Judah. He also removed the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord, as well as all the altars which he had built on the mountain of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem. And he threw them outside the city. He set up the altar of the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings and thank offerings on it. And he ordered Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. Nevertheless, the people still sacrificed in the high places, although only to the Lord their God. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh, even his prayer to his God, and the words of the seers who spoke to him in the name of the Lord God of Israel, behold, they are among the records of the kings of Israel. His prayer also, and how God was entreated by him and all his sin, his unfaithfulness, and the sites on which he built high places and erected the ashram and the carved images before he humbled himself, behold, they are written in the records of the Hosei. So Manasseh slept with his fathers, and they buried him in his own house. And Ammon his son became king in his place. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful that you are present. We find ourselves in different places, in different conditions, with different needs, different stories. But Father, we are thankful that you are aware of it all. You are intimately acquainted with all our moving, all our comings and goings. And Father, we ask that in this time that we have, that you would show us who it is that you are. We need to see that. We need, we need that glimpse of your majesty, your power. Father, we confess, we admit that we are weak, but you, Father, are strong. Please show us your strength in this time and also help us to see your Son. For it's in his name we pray these things. Amen. Well, Manasseh, that's the king in which we will be uh, considering in our time here. The subtitle I have is A Benchmark of Evil. Now, that's not original to me, and I credit it to uh, a very dear friend of mine. We were discussing some of these things last night. Uh, a group of us had gotten together, and we were socially distant because we did it digitally. It was over Zoom, so to be clear there. But we were talking about uh, this particular passage and this king of Judah, Manasseh, and uh, one of the brothers said, you know, it's uh, a benchmark of evil. And, and I really liked that. I really appreciated that. Well, as uh, the text tells us, uh, Manasseh came to power when he was 12 years old. And he reigned for 55 years. That's 
That's a long time. So a young man, 12 years of age, he goes into the family business. He uh, enters into the family business because, well, his father is no longer able to, to function. So 12 years old, Manasseh becomes king, and, and I think it's really helpful and important for us to remember that names in the Old Testament, in Scripture as a whole, but especially in the Old Testament, names mean something. And so the name Manasseh means causing to forget. Causing to forget. And that's really the... Um, Let's call it the, the flow of thought or the thought flow that is going to work its way through this passage and, and also help us as we follow Manasseh as he progresses, uh, as he develops. And so put that on the, as we say, the sticky side of your mind, that idea of causing to forget, causing to forget. So now in, in our passage this morning, uh, and by the way, I should also mention that, that there is um, there's a parallel passage in 2 Kings 21. It gives us a little bit more information, but nonetheless, it's, um, it, it revisits this biography, as it were, of Manasseh. So 2 Kings 21, and I would refer that to you. Uh, take a look at that um, a little bit later on. Not now, because we should be focusing on Second Chronicles 33. Well, the life of Manasseh, as it's recorded in, in the Second Chronicles passage, there, there's a bit of an arc, a story arc. And as we see that really in, in the um, kind of the graphic that's kind of the thought bubble from, uh, from the little 3D guy as he's looking at his book. And wanted to give you an outline, and the outline really helps us with this idea of the story arc. It, the story arc, it, it starts up and then it reaches uh, an apex, and then it goes back down, reaches a, a climax, as it were. It has a, uh, an obstacle in which it overcomes, making that arc. So in verses 1 through 9, and again, remember, it, it, it's uh, Manasseh causing to forget causing to forget. So in verses 1 through 9, we have the forgotten pattern. The forgotten pattern. The second section is verses 10 through 12. It's the forgotten position. And that's really the, the apex, the, the top of the, the story arc or the, or the narrative, uh, if that's a, a word that we want to use. And then we start to go down, but not so much down uh, in, an, in, a, um, in the sense that we would think going downhill. It's the story is coming to a close. It's uh, coming to a resolution. And that's in verses 13 to 20. And we want to think about the forgotten past. So the forgotten pattern is the first section. The second section, the forgotten position. And then the third section, the resolution, as it were, is the forgotten past. And that's in verses 13 to 20. So let's go look at our first section, the forgotten pattern. Again, verses 1 through 9, the forgotten pattern. 
We already talked about uh, Manasseh entering into the family business, and let's meet the family, as it were. Um, the Second Kings portion of this passage um, tells us that um, Manasseh's wife was a woman by the name of Hephzibah. What a wonderful name, Hephzibah. And we really don't have time to get into what that means and unpack all of that. But uh, we do want to say that um, Manasseh was married, uh, this woman, Hephzibah. We know um, that um, Manasseh's father was King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah. And then Manasseh's mother, sorry, his mother was Hephzibah. And then uh, Manasseh's wife is Meshulamath. Meshulamath. And uh, Hephzibah comes from 2 Kings, and then Meshulamath also comes from 2 Kings because we get that Ammon's mother was Meshulamath, and Meshulamath being the wife of Manasseh. I said Hephzibah was his wife before. It's clearly wrong. So, his father is Hezekiah, his mother is Hephzibah, and his wife is Meshulamath. So that's the family. One of the things that, that we want to note about this, this benchmark of evil is that Manasseh had forgotten the pattern in which his father had laid out for him. It, it's almost as if um, Manasseh was willfully defiant and... Um, and, and so rebellious in, okay, this is who my father was. Well, I am not going to be that guy. I'm going to be my own man. I'm going to do things my own way. I'm going to make my own mark. And, and what is that mark? What is that legacy in which Manasseh left behind? Well, it's, it's, it's all bad, really. When I first started reading through this section, and when, um, when I received the email of the assigned passage, and I, and I started reading this, I was very, very discouraged. And then I thought of you. And, and I thought, what, Lord, what word do you have for these people, this, this life of... This life that Manasseh lived is, is horrendous. It's, it's a train wreck. It's a dumpster fire. What, what words of life, what words of encouragement do you have for your people? Well, don't be that guy. Just don't be that guy. Don't be Manasseh. And we'll unpack a little bit about what, what that means. Manasseh was, was an idolater. Look, look uh, right, in, um, right in verse 3. For he, uh, Manasseh, rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah his father had broken down. He also erected altars for the, for the Baals, the Baals. And he made Asherim, uh, Asherim, Asherim, uh, however you wish to pronounce it, and worshipped all the host of heaven and serve them. He built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, My name shall be in Jerusalem 
forever. For he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Verse 6, he made his sons pass through the fire in the valley of Ben-Hemon, and he practiced witchcraft, used divination, practiced sorcery, and dealt with mediums and spirits. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking the Lord to anger. A little bit about the high places. Um, the high places are, are not necessarily these elevated um, altars, so to speak. Um, they're more lower to the ground, but the high places of which um, this particular passage is speaking is, is talking about those, those altars in which um, sacrifices to idols were made. Um, a number of years, uh, several years ago, um, for Christmas, my wife gave me tickets to go see the Dead Sea Scrolls at the exhibit in New York City. Best Christmas gift ever. Better than the Red Rider with the compass and the stock. The, the, the going to see the Dead Sea Scrolls, tremendous. So as, as part of this exhibit, they also had artifacts from Israel and um, they, they had them on display. And, and one of the artifacts they had was one of the altars from the high places, the high places of Dan, from Dan to Beersheba. You may be familiar with that phrase in, in scripture. Well, it was one of the altars from the high places of Dan and it was low to the ground. It was um, picture of bird bath you will. It was about that size, about that scale, about that height. It was small and, and it just struck me as so ironic what a high place would be so low to the ground. Well, Manasseh was all about idol worship. He was also all about sacrifice. And, and, and look at this. Um, in, in verse in verse uh, 6, he made his sons pass through the fire in the valley of Ben-Himon. And he practiced witchcraft, used divination, practiced sorcery, and dealt with mediums and spiritists. This passing through the fire, we, we, need, to, we need to unpack this a little bit to... to help you grasp the, the magnitude of the depth of the evil, the, um, the vileness. I, the, the words just can't express what Manasseh was doing. So, so this, this idea of passing through the fire. So imagine, if you will, um, the, um, the city of Jerusalem. And, and, and look on the screen, you see those hands kind of um, intertwined together. It's the family hands. And in an in a odd sort of way, the, city, the old city of Jerusalem is laid out in, in kind of sort of this arrangement where um, up on the upper part, 
the northern part. There, that's where the temple would be. And then it would come down and it would kind of funnel shape. And remember, Jerusalem is built on a hill. It's, it's elevated. You, you look up to, to see. And, and in the Gospels, when, when um, the, the narratives uh, are, un, are unfolding, they say, you know, he went up to Jerusalem. He, literally, he went up, up in elevation to Jerusalem. So on the, on the western side is this Valley of Hinnom, Ben Hinnom. Ben is the sun, right? So it's, it's in this valley, and what they would do is there was, a, there was an idol by the name of Molech. 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 But we say it with the, you know, with the throat, because you have to, right? This... Um, this idol it was a statue, and it was metallic. It was metal, crafted all out of metal. And, and what they would do is they would start a fire um, at the base of, of, the, of the idol. And start a fire and also just a big party. A lot of, um, a lot of adult beverages and a lot of adult-oriented activities. Okay, not to be too graphic, but I think you get the idea. So they would start the fire at the base of, of this statue. And then the thing would glow. Metal does that when it gets hot, right? It glows red. And this thing would be on, not on fire, but just literally glowing. And then to gain the favor of this idol, they would take the child, in Manasseh's case, the man-child, the, the boys, boys, get that, sons, plural, not once, not, 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 not twice, twice at least, sons, Manasseh, sacrificed his sons. So the statue had its arms stretched out with its palms facing up, Molech, and they would take the child and drop it onto the fiery red-hot hands of the idol hoping, having this confident expectation that the idol would receive the gift and show favor on the people. That's this guy. Manasseh also practiced witchcraft, sorcery, divination, It's so unsettling. I, I, just, I just can't, I can't explain to you how he not only um, embraced evil, he eagerly sought it out. He went out of his way, out of his way to, 
to revel in the darkness. That's this guy. God is nowhere. Jehovah, Yahweh, the, the self-existent one, is not on this guy's radar whatsoever. Re remember, we, we read in the text how he pushed God out of God's temple, the place where God said, I am choosing this place for my name to dwell. The name, by the way, which the Jew, even to this day, they can't even say or spell God. Right? Manasseh pushing him out. Want nothing to do with God. The forgotten pattern of Hezekiah, his father. Perhaps the greatest king Israel had known. A tough between Hezekiah and David, right? Not only did Manasseh embrace evil, he eagerly sought it out, but scripture lays it out for us. Verse 9. Thus Manasseh misled Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the sons of Israel. He embraced evil. He eagerly sought it out. But he encouraged other people to do the same thing. Come on, I'm the king, I say what goes. Hezekiah, the memory of Hezekiah was, was distant. It was really all but blotted out by Manasseh's willful embrace of evil. A benchmark of evil, this is it. Willing, willing to see his own sons killed. I, 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 uh, this is on my heart, so I got to say it. This particular time in which we are finding ourselves, we're, we're talking about essential versus non-essential services. I do not understand, and maybe it's because I don't want to understand, which is fine, which is fine, but I do not understand for the life of me and I'm an educated individual. I do not understand for the life of me how Planned Parenthood is an essential service. How is abortion an essential service? The murder of children, yes. The taking of a life, how is that an essential service? Please, I'm, I'm begging you, help me understand that because I just don't get it. And it's no different than taking a walk down to the valley of Ben Hinnom and laying a child into a glowing red hot altar. It, 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 there's no difference. Okay, moving on. Let's go to the next section the forgotten position. 
the forgotten position. Verses 10 through 12. Verse 10 has got to be one of the most, one of the most discouraging verses in the entirety of Scripture. Read it with me. The Lord, Lord, this is Jehovah, the self-existent one. Get, get that, the self-existent one. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people. So it wasn't just God having a conversation with Manasseh. God was also speaking to other people in Israel, in, in, in Jerusalem, in Judah. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. God was speaking, and they could not be bothered to lift up their ears, to incline, to draw in to what it was the Creator God was saying. And why? Because, hearkening back to that commentary in Genesis at, at, in the days of Noah, because there was only uh, evil, uh, only evil in their heart continually. Only evil in their heart continually. They ignored God. They ignored God. Stick a pin in that. We may come back to that thought. God says, I, I will get your attention. In the book of Job, we read that his purposes will not be thwarted. When God wants something to happen, it will happen. Every single time. So what does God do to get Manasseh's attention? Verse 11. Therefore, the Lord brought the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria against them. Get that. The Lord brought before them the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria. And they captured Manasseh. And please understand this. The kings of Assyria did not just walk in and without any kind of resistance. Oh my, no. We don't have time to get into all of that. But, but look at what they did. They, they did three things in this humiliating of Manasseh. And, and the Assyrians, they had, they had punishment figured out. Uh, people like to think that, that the Romans were the ones who, um, who developed the the execution style of crucifixion? No, no, no. The Romans perfected it. It was the Assyrians who, who really burst on the scene with this blessed little thought. So what the Assyrians did when they captured Manasseh, they did three things. First of all, they, they used hooks, and they would have used hooks in his body. That's part of the humiliation. More importantly, they would have put a hole th sideways through the inside of his nose. 
not on the outside, but right on the inside. And then they would put a bale, a, a, a hook in essence, as it were, through there, a nose ring, not aesthetically pleasing whatsoever, took that ring and connected a chain to it. And they also chained his hands and feet while they were at it. So they put a note uh, uh, here. They captured Manasseh with hooks, hook through the nose, but then also more than likely hooks in the body, in his chest, the, the fleshy part that's not going to rip out too terribly easy. Chained up hand and feet, and then, and then they dragged him, dragged him to Babylon. That's what the text tells us. So while in Babylon, he's, he's humiliated. He's put on display. It's a public spectacle. It's all about the power of the Assyrians and all about the impotency of the Jew. It's really what this is all about. Manasseh's in a prison. He's, he's broken. He is humbled. He had been humiliated, but, but now he's humbled because what he, what he does, and, and this is so, this is where the beauty starts to, to come forth. It's, it's like the green shoot coming out of the ground. You begin to see life. Up until this point, remember the story arc, right? Up until this point, there's been nothing but death on this just train ride to the top, train wreck to the top. Nothing but death and destruction along the way. But now, but now in prison, brought low, Manasseh is broken. He's, he's broken. And, and, and that's what this word really is, is... Um, When, when we read in verse 13, when, when he prayed to God, God was moved by his entreaty and heard his supplication and brought him again to Jerusalem to his kingdom. Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Manasseh having this very open, transparent, honest conversation with God and and later on in the text, we, see, we read that it was recorded. And the prayer of Manasseh is in extra-biblical material, extra-canonical material, apocryphal material. That particular prayer is recorded, and it can be found online if you Google the prayer of Manasseh. You'll find it in the Common English Bible. It's between 2nd Esdras and Psalm 151. That's, that's where you'll find this prayer of Manasseh. I told you where to find it. We're not going to look at it, but you can take a look at it on your own. It, it's, it's very Davidic in, in its presentation, but that's an aside. This word entreaty, it, it's, it's this... Um, it's this caress uh, idea of, of rubbing, really, of, of rubbing, but, but not like, um, 
not like an agitating kind of rub, but more like a smoothing out, like a, like a caress, a soft caress. That's this idea of entreaty, and that's what Manasseh was doing to God. He was caressing God, as it were, but really by humbling himself and saying, I blew it. I, I'm, I'm jacked up. I'm in a bad spot here. You think? The scars from the hooks, no doubt the pain, the nose, very painful. God heard him, and, and God restored him. Let's go to the third section here, the forgotten past. <clears throat> Verses 13 through 20. So first we had, we had talked about um, the forgotten pattern. We talked about how... Um, Manasseh had a, had a tremendous, a wonderful model in his father, Hezekiah. Could care less. And then the forgotten position. A, a position of a power was taken away from him. And now, we want to think about that forgotten past. Manasseh causing to forget. The forgotten past. Well, first we see that uh, Manasseh prayed. God hears and responds. Next, we notice, we want to note, that Manasseh built a defense. And, and again, and, and please don't get, um, don't get bored with geography. It's, it, it's important. It, it's, it's real important. Re remember we, we talked about... Um, the layout of Jerusalem. So up in the north, that's where the fish gate is. That's what, um, that's one of the things that Manasseh rebuilt. And why did he have to rebuild it? Because it got torn down when the Assyrian kings came rolling into town. So it's up in the north. And then if you go counterclockwise, I guess we're going this, this way, counterclockwise, you come down to the, the southern part of, of the city of Jerusalem. Uh, that's, that's where the, the Ophel is. But more importantly, and this is, you got, we, you, you got to grasp this. So if you're like tuning out, come back in. Come back in. This is, this is super important. This western side of Jerusalem in, in which the writer of Chronicles is, is talking about. That western side is where the Valley of Hinnom is, the Valley of Ben-Hinnom, the place where Manasseh murdered his children. Catch that? That's beautiful. That is absolutely beautiful how God Put it in Manasseh's heart to do that. This wall that is built, it, it's not just a military defense, but it's a spiritual defense. Manasseh, in essence, saying, I don't want to be reminded of my past. I do not want to be reminded of my past. Stick a pin in that because we'll be coming back to that. 
It's the last thing that Manasseh did. He, he cleaned house. He got rid of everything. Uh, verse 15. He also removed the foreign gods, the idol from the house of the Lord, as well as all the altars which he had built on the mountain of the house of the Lord and at Jerusalem and threw them outside the city into the trash. He cleaned house. He set up the altar of the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings and thank offerings on it. And, but wait, there's more. He ordered Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. The old Manasseh said, we don't need God. We've got our other gods. Give us a good time. The new Manasseh, the transformed, the transformed Manasseh, the changed Manasseh, he said, God is who he says he is. And we ought, ought to be living like that, living in light of the fact that God is who he says he is. The forgotten past. Well, now it's time for some, some questions as we bring this time to a close. You've been doing a great job of, of staying with me too. I, I, I've really, really been watching that. So thank you for, for sticking with me. You've done a great job. We're almost, we're almost finished. So three questions. Three questions for you. So what? Yeah, but <laughs> now what? We'll turn to uh, Philippians chapter three. Turn to Philippians chapter three, and, and and we'll kind of flesh out a little bit of of these questions a bit more. So what? <laughs> so what that I'm going to forget? So what that I'm to forget? Yeah, but I can't forget. I can't forget. Now what? Help me to forget. Help me to forget. So what that I'm to forget? Where are you in your story arc? Are you, um, are you at the part where it, it's the forgotten pattern? Uh, you might have had the blessing, the divine favor of godly parents, but you could care less. You could not care even less. You're not cultivating that relationship with God because you can't be bothered, because God is, is demanding too much of me. It's too hard. Come on now. Really? Yeah, but I, I, I can't forget. I can't forget. I, I was talking with someone just 
just last week. And, and they were asking this question. I need to forget about my past. I've done some things in my past and, and the flashbacks are real. The flashbacks are real. Phil, how do I, how do I forget? How do I move on? Yeah, but I don't, I don't know how to forget. Help me, help me to forget. And, and by this, help me to forget, and, and I can't forget, we're talking about sin. Please understand that, be, be very clear. We're talking about some sin, whether it was a one-time thing or a pattern, we need to be set free from that. Hopefully you're in Philippians 3. Go down to verse 13. Brethren, Paul says. Brethren. That's tremendous. That's family. It ain't talking about the whole world. No, I'm not supposed to say ain't. It's not talking about the whole world. It's only talking about the brothers and sisters. Those who are children of God, because to as many as have received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, John tells us. Blood-bought children. That's the brethren. Same blood. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. What's the it? It's very important. Meander up to verse 10. That I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. Paul has not laid hold of that yet. Soon, but not right now. I have not laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do. It's one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal of the prize for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Forgetting. Not, not, let it, not letting it rent space in your head. Put it out of your mind. This is, this is a classic strategy with Paul. It's putting on and putting off, right? So putting off what lies behind. Putting off what lies behind. And, and get this. Please get this. There is no power in what lies behind. The only power that it has is what we give it. Please, please hear that. Please, please hear that. The things that lie behind, the things in the past, they don't have any power. Only the power that we give it. Okay? Letting go, 
putting off what lies behind. So now my hands are empty, right? I, I Think of it that way. Think of it, you know, holding on to something, right? I've let go of it. I, I'm letting go of what lies behind. And how awkward is that to try and be walking forward, but your hands are behind your back holding on to something? I realize as a parent, that's pretty much how you live your life, right? It's dragging your child around and all the rest. That, that, this is not what we're talking about. This is not what we're talking about. Forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead. For the joy set before him, he, Christ, endured the cross, despised the shame. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That, that is how we forget. We let go of the past. The past is in the past. And I realize, I realize it's hard. It's hard because we're wrestling not against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual exercise. It's spiritual warfare. Sometimes we just need to say things out loud, like the word no. If you find yourself, I, I can't forget. I, I, I just, I, I, yeah, but I can't forget. I, how about just saying no? Or help me, Jesus. So, Manasseh, a benchmark of evil. Forgotten pattern forgotten position, forgotten past. Let go of the past. Reach towards the prize, the upward call. Because he who has called you is faithful. And he will deliver every single time. Let's pray. Father, you are good. You are so good, and you know we are weak. Help us. Help us to let go. Help us to forget. We want to put off the past. We want to put on the mind of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Father, please do that for us. You are the self-existent one. We thank you. And Father, we do love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.